Hello and welcome to another Mastering Dungeons. I am here with my co-host, Teos Abadia. Hey, Teos. Hey, Sean. I am ready to master at least one dungeon. If not more. If not, I we mean, have to master at least two. Sometimes one leads to another. So that's true. That is true. As the the fix so uh, gracefully told us back in the eighties, one thing does indeed lead to another. Now that's in my head. Thank you. You're welcome. Everyone else's. You're welcome. Uh, so let's hop right into the news with a lot of news about this Magic the Gathering D&D crossover. The first bit of news is an adventure has been released called In Scarlet Flames. And it was released on the Magic the Gathering site, uh, as well as the D&D site, I believe. And uh, it is by Will Hindmarch, and it's an adventure for four to six characters of level eight. It is set in the high moors of Faerun and features the machinations of the Red Wizards of Fae. Uh, it's a 14-page adventure that promotes the upcoming Magic the Gathering Forgotten Realm set, and it claims to be the first in a series which will be released weekly. Uh, I did take a quick gander at it. Uh, I was excited to see Will Hindmarch involved because he is yeah. a, he's an excellent uh, game designer. And I, reading over the the intro, it everything seemed fine. So would you like to tell us what is involved in this adventure? Yeah, it's um, it's a story, you know, and, and this is just going to give you like the barest of barest of spoilers. Like it's not it's not really a problem, but um, there is a mage from another world, which we would guess is the Magic the Gathering world, yes. that has come for some reason to this area to like retrieve valuables and somehow two red wizards hear about this and pursue him. They hire a group to take them to this old barrow where. Um, the, the people who, who have been hired to take them realize these wizards are probably going to kill us and they run off. Mm -hmm. And that's how you hear about all this is you can meet those folks who say, you know, Hey, for a small fee, we'll <laughs> take you to, to where these red wizards went. They wanted some sort of loot. We wanted no part of it. And then the bulk of the adventure is the interaction with this old layer and uncovering what happened to the two red wizards. Um, and it clearly leads to more later. There's sort yeah. of a portal at the end. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's got some interesting mechanics around traps. If you like traps, it has some sort of clever ideas on how to use those in ways that aren't just the usual, like perception kind of check method. Yeah. And it states right up front that we're not telling you the whole story in this adventure. So if you go in, if you're one of the DMS that wants the whole story before you start running something, um, you might want to wait because we just get the uh the hook that this mage is from another world so i'm sure as teo said it will that will be where the uh, magic the gathering stuff comes into play <laughs> but other than that uh, non-statement of magic gathering there really isn't much mention of magic at all at least in what i've read there's none no, no, it, it's, and, and I was thinking it might be a little more because these replace the, the stories and fiction that usually show up, uh, to announce a set. I thought this might have a little more focus on the lore. You know, the players are, the characters are learning about planeswalkers or something like that, but it, but it is not in that way other than just a very, like, you know, some wizards have been here doing things, right? It's at that very level, but yeah. there are neat things like the, the, the kind of 
big battle, if you will, is interesting in that your goal is not simply fighting. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it, and it has a sort of fun mechanic to it as, as to how you deal with that, which is kind of typical, I think, will Heinmark designed to, to sort of have it be different and very creative. And I like that. Yeah. The, cool. the, the monsters that are there ha have sort of neat reasons for being there that aren't the usual, like, and we're here to oppose you, which is cool. Right. The, the, I have a question for you. Maybe you can answer. The first thing I always do when I read an adventure over is, you know, read the summary, read everything in the beginning. Then I start seeing the numbers. Okay. Room one, room two. So I flip quickly to the map to see what the size and shape of the map is. And when I flipped to the map, it only had areas 13 through 16 mapped out and the rest was sort of not there or it was sort of an overview, but it didn't give actual areas. Did I That's miss something or are, is, is the map not the map of those specific areas yeah. not there? You might be right. Okay. I did. You know, I, Usually I go back and forth between map and adventure. It's one of those things where the maps are usually at the end and you're trying to, yeah. you know, visualize what it is. In this case, as I was reading it, I did not look at the map until the very end. And, and I, all I remember is thinking, huh, that map's smaller than I expected. Yeah. And, and okay. I never did the math on like, oh, it only covers yeah. that area. So maybe it deliberately is only providing yeah it is interesting you think it would show all yeah. of the rooms yeah and it's it's not a big deal because like i said i haven't read it completely through maybe they just expect the dm to make their own map for that area but there is an overview map and then there is a specific map of like the final few rooms but the yeah areas one through 12 aren't actually mapped out so i was just curious all right yeah, i mean it's it wouldn't slow me down from running the adventure i was just no the 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 really the only thing that I would comment on this from a design perspective is, you know, we, we were guessing, we said this last episode, it's it's semi high level, eighth level, because that allows you to show all these grandiose monsters that the cards are gonna feature. Mm -hmm. And probably spells and devices and things like that. And that makes sense, but you if you if you're gonna be pulling in people who primarily do Magic the Gathering then that's a hurdle to overcome. And I did not, one of the things I looked for is, well, does this adventure address that? And yeah. it doesn't. Like, it's not written like an intro adventure necessarily, yeah. um, especially speaking to, hey, eighth level play, or, you know, there are no pregens included or, mm -hmm. or, you know, link to the pregens that already exist on the on the Wizards of the Coast site, right? There's right. none of that. Here's how to get the free rules. or And I just, that's a, one of those, like, I'm like, man, I want to speak to the project manager and say, see the larger picture of your audience right. and try to speak to those new people and bring them in because that's a new audience right. you're tapping into there. And, and they, they might just pick this up and go like, wow, this looks complicated. I don't get it. Yeah. They, uh, and it's, it's on the magic site, not the D and D site. So that mm -hmm. also, you know, adds a little bit of uh question to it, but Hey, it's seems like an interesting adventure. I would be more than happy to run it. So uh, hopefully, the future installments of the adventure will be equally compelling. Yeah. Uh, next, Harper Collins has announced some new D and D books. You just saw this news, so I will let you yeah. speak to it. It's dropped as we we're recording. Uh, they have announced an agreement with Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast to release a new line of D and D middle grade books. I think this means for the middle grades of school. 
which will include novels, illustrated chapter books, and graphic novels. It launches this fall with Dungeon Academy, No Humans Allowed. If that doesn't tell you the age grouping. Um, Pre-orders available uh, already. I guess it's on Amazon and sites like that. Set in the Forgotten Realms, it stars a young girl named Zelly who enters a prestigious academy for monsters while disguised as a minotaur. We can all relate. Sure. Zelly, <laughs> Zelly eventually sets out on a quest to find out her true lineage while accompanied by a vegan owlbear, a kobold, and a mimic. And I love this. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I want to criticize it, and I can't. I mean, yeah. it, that's yeah. just beautiful. Right. Um, right. A vegan owlbear, a cobalt, and a mimic walk into a cafeteria. It's perfect. I mean, exactly. this is great. This is exactly what I want. Um, it's followed in release by a Dungeons & Dragons Harper Chapters book series. So I guess Stories of the Harpers. Scheduled for release in winter 2022. And then a graphic novel series by Molly Knox Ostertag and Xanth Borma uh, Buma with the first release planned for fall 2022. So that's neat. That's more of your, you know, reaching out to different audiences. You see it on the shelves. What is this? What is this Dungeons and Dragons stuff? I mean, a lot of us from back in the older days started with that kind of thing with things like choosing your own adventure books. So that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't have to appeal to everybody as long as it appeals to somebody. Indeed. So there we go. Uh, Dragon Plus issue 38 is out. It includes an overview of recent news regarding uh, the wild beyond the Witchlight and Strixhaven, information that we've touched on in previous episodes, um, a video highlight for the Watsi streams, previews of the Magic the Gathering cards focusing on dragons, um, an interview with Peter Atkinson and Steve Conrad on the influences of D&D on Magic the Gathering, which would be interesting uh, considering the milieu that we're currently in. Uh, James Wyatt and Jules Robbins look at how it's taken decades to get this magic gathering set made. And you can totally understand, you know, James who's worked uh, both in D and D and in magic gathering for years, trying to put this together and, and make this synergy happen and finally coming to fruition. I'm so happy for him, not to mention for all D and D fans. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you can't quite hear the pain in their in their voice uh, when you read the words on the page, but you know it's in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they talked about the Dominaria bestiary that was considered for third edition uh, and then never happened. Uh, with 5e, they were able to get info uh, on Zendikar as a D&D &D world published for free on the DMs Guild. Yeah. And, and there's a funny yeah. line there where, where they talk about how it's sort of what they say is we ran around the office seeing if anyone opposed this. Right. <laughs> That's kind of the wording, right? Yeah. It's not like we pitched this. Everybody thought it was a great idea. It's like nobody blocked us. So we threw out this free Zendikar thing on the DMs Guild yeah. and then kept going and building right. up momentum. Yeah. Yep. I mean, and good for them, right? It's better yeah. to ask, forgive this permission. Sometimes uh -huh. it's true. Uh, Nobody and, said not to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there, There's information in Dragon Plus uh, issue 38 on using Magic the Gathering cards as inspiration in your D&D game. Um, crowdfund, uh, crowd, not found, crowdsourced uh, trinkets for your Ravenloft games, D&D virtual play, and how it includes the new Mist Hunters campaign. And uh, Best of the Guild looks at uh, the Warlock patrons 
free downloads of one product and coverage of a YouTube series called the Dungeon Masters Guildhouse, which highlights uh, products on the DMs Guild. And finally, uh, concept artist Sean Wood has an interview. He is a concept artist for the D&D team. Yeah, and, interestingly, yeah. they did not have the the kind of classic section or the maps section. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll see if those come back later. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Magic the Gathering, you talked with our friend Dave Chalker about how to approach this new Magic the Gathering set as a D&D fan. And what did Dave have to say? So Dave is a game designer who loves Magic the Gathering, loves D&D. He has, you know, crossed. He's lived in both worlds. He is a planeswalker, as as I understand. Um, so I said, Dave, tell me, if you were going to try to buy this new D&D set, how does this all work, right, mm-hmm. if you want to get into this? And so I'm going to share this with uh, listeners who may be mostly in the D&D world but are thinking, gee, I want to buy these cards. And so what Dave, Dave shared the following wisdom, which I will now relate. And the first thing is thinking through what is your purpose with these cards? Like if you just want a pack of cards, there are a number of ways to get that without any big whoop. If you just want to have a few to be like, cool, look, I have D and D cards. Um, but if you want to play, then there's another level. And then the last level is if you want to collect like the full set, like if you're like, I want to have all the D and D cards, then that gets tricky. Um, so thinking through your purpose is sort of your first step and a good buy kind of regardless, but especially if you're looking more for play are what are called commander decks and commander decks are pre-built decks of cards that, uh, are fully functional and fun. And there are four of them and they're made so that they play well together. They're balanced and they're interesting in how they oppose one another. So if you buy these four commander decks, you can now give a deck to your friend and you can play and it's fun and it all works. Um, you get all the land you need, all the everything you need to have a really good game, and it'll give you a good sampling of that theme. Um, each deck has 100 cards, including two legendary foil cards. There's a foil-etched commander card, which is a special card that does enable your deck to do things. Ten double-sided tokens, a life wheel, and the deck box. So that's all you need if you just want to play a bit. If your goal is to own most of the cards, well, it's not like maybe if you know miniature collecting where you buy a case and you get one of every rare and... and plenty of the others. There's no such thing in the Magic the Gathering world. Mm-hmm. They are far more aggressive with your money. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it works there is you are not going to get everything. There are not only many rares and uncommons and commons and all that sort of business, but then there are foil versions and there are mythic rares and there are alternate art versions of everything. So the chase is a long one. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is buy what are called set boosters. Uh, these are boxes of, of the kind of packs you may be used to seeing in a store. And if you buy one or two of those, you would have a pretty good amount of cards. And then you can decide what else you want to buy and probably buy those as individual cards to fill up your set. Um, if you want to be more aggressive, you can buy the our special sort of boosters that are art packs. And those have more rares and more of the stranger art cards, but it costs a whole ton more. So you've got to have a big wallet to buy like, you know, box at 250 bucks of those. A box of the other set boosters is like, I think 130, something like that. I'm going by memory. So none of this is cheap, but it, if you're really going down the collector path, then that set, boost, set boosters is the way to go. You can also get draft boosters if you're looking for playability. Those are 
like booster packs, but they're made for the idea of playing draft play where you pass the pack around and everybody chooses a card and you're mixing it up as you play. That's a lot of fun, but it's an investment to do that and not as suited for just trying to build up your collection. Um, there is also what's called a bundle box. There is one out now and there'll be another one out, I think in August, which includes a D20, 10 booster packs, three oversized dungeon cards, which are really cool because that's a central feature of the game. Um, 20, and they kind of go out, you know, on the play map where everybody can see them, uh, 20 foil basic lands and a few other fun bits. And that's more of like a fun purchase to have if you want it. I think it's like 50 bucks. And there'll be the second version will have a different D20 and probably different foil cards. Then you can just go crazy with deck boxes, play mats, you name it, that are all themed around this set. Um, there is a magic article that we'll link in the show notes that walks you through the different types of cards, including Amazing Flumfart, which is really all you need to know about the set. Mm. And then a product <laughs> overview as well with some of the information that I have that I just shared as well. Yep. That was uh, Flump. Art, not flump fart. Just, That's just to be clear. I mean, Although, they're related. Really, I, you could have, probably have both cards. <laughs> One always might, may always feature the other. I mean, it's true. Awesome. Well, thank you for that rundown. Uh, yeah, I am thanks, getting, Dave. I am again. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chalker, for your expertise. Uh, in switch gears here, the Indie Game Developer Network, the IGDN, uh, has created draft guidelines. Per- processional standards and practices. I think that's supposed to be professional. Okay. I can read. It's fine. Uh, So the IGDN, as the name says, it's a network of game developers and game development companies that are more indie. um, And they are, as a professional organization, you know, come together to, to get things done for their members. And so they've created this document that contains information and guidelines for those wanting to work in the tabletop hobby. Um, The information in this document includes the different types of jobs that you can get in the industry, proper conduct, minimum wages by country, uh, how to calculate a reasonable minimal fee, uh, minimum fee for a number of the words you're asked to write. Um, They assume writing 2000 words a day, which is a good amount of words per day. you know, if you're doing that, you're doing professional work at that point. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to mention about this document? No, it's it's pretty. It's a good. I think it's worth anyone if you, that works in the field should take some time to look over this. And it is in draft status, so they um, are looking for you to read it over. I think you might not even be able to download it. I think you just read it on the site, mm-hmm. and then there is a link for you to provide feedback. And their hope is to publish this in the fall. And they, they established these sort of like silver, bronze, silver, and gold levels of pay. And what they are hoping to do is to reach out to companies and have these publishers opt in as being either bronze, silver, or gold so that people can find them and sort of match up mm-hmm. creator and publisher, which is sort of interesting. Yeah. Yep. So that is out there. There's a link in the show notes for it for you if you're interested to go take a look and give their give you Give them your feedback if you so choose. Um, this next one is right in Teos's wheelhouse, literally. <laughs> uh, Dwarven Forge is releasing the free Wildlands Bestiary. Um, so tell us all about this. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, in a recent stream, uh, the, one of the main Dwarven Forge folks, Nate, almost revealed uh, what I recently wrote for <laughs> the uh, series of adventures that, you know, if folks know, they release Kickstarters around their awesome terrain, and then they release adventures to support them. And those are all available free on their website. It started with Dungeon of Doom. Uh, it went into their Caves Kickstarter, and now for their most recent Kickstarter, Wildlands, uh, what they're doing now is releasing free monsters, and then an adventure will follow. And so he did not spill the beans on the adventure, so I can't either, which is a shame because it is pretty fun. Um, and I was not the only writer that was also mentioned, the whole team this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be coming. But for now, you can get a PDF for free with 23 creatures and plants you can drop into any 5e campaign. Uh, they were created by the Dwarven Forge team. They're all laid out beautifully, play-tested, uh, and will likely be seen in that upcoming adventure. So, Sweet. Fun way to get some neat, creative monsters. And the Dwarven Forge team, you know, they don't play things normally. Like, they, they have wacky, wild, fun ideas, which is what's yeah. great about these monsters. Okay. Looking forward to that. And one thing you can do with Dwarven Forge terrain is really uh, lay into some traps. And Indeed. Greg Marks has written another installment and in what is becoming one of my favorite series, uh, the Cobalt Press Trapmaster series. The newest one from Greg is Location, 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 <laughs> where his blog post looks at devious traps that force characters to move around in some way. Because one of the hardest things to do, of course, with a trap is to get the players and their, or their, their characters into yeah. the trap. And so Greg looks at different ways of moving or having the trap move the characters to make the trap even more devious. Uh, Like, for example, the first trap he talked about is a pit trap, but falling into the pit trap actually transports the character that fell in somewhere else. So the rest of the characters are looking around going, where did Bob go? And at the bottom of the pit is a lever. So, of course, they're going to go down and probably pull the lever. And then other things happen. So it's sort of ways <laughs> to coax the characters into doing the thing that are of importance to uh, the trap. Uh, another example that Greg gives is a, uh, a trap where there's a pillar rising out of a lake of lava. And maybe something cool on the, the pillar or just the pillar is the obvious way across the lake. But there's an invisible barrier on uh, the pillar, so runes can be dispelled. The barrier can be detected with magic and disintegrated or deactivated to then allow the players to get onto that pillar. Uh, Did you have anything else of note about that? Yeah, I love them. They're they're very funny. And it reminds me, uh, Nate Taylor of Dwarven Forge also came up with one that we did in Dwarven Forge where there's, uh, you know, the pit trap that you can jump. And and it's there's clearly bad stuff in the bottom spikes and you know things like that. Um, so jumping over it is the obvious thing, but there's an invisible wall at the end. So yeah. if you jump, you hit it because it's and especially in five e the jump rules are so easy that as right. long as you have a ten strength, you can cover ten feet. Right. So if you don't test or think, you're going to slam into it and fall into the pit anyway, which is fun for everybody at the table. A good laugh will be had. But if they do detect it, then you feel sort of rewarded, and now you've got to figure out, well, what do I do about this barrier, right? And I, I think that's just that te- that's such fun design, those kinds of things. Yeah, I, I added a trap like that to a combat in an old living Greyhawk adventure, 
and I ran it several times, and it was just <laughs> the most gleeful thing every time to have these characters get a running start, leap over the the obvious trap into the wall, fall prone at the feet of the enemy that's waiting there. Just so, so wonderful. So wonderful. wonderful. Yep. So, uh, you know, continue. If you haven't read these uh, blog posts by Greg on the Cobalt Press site, do so because they're all wonderful and I'll talk very mechanically uh, about ways to use traps uh, to their utmost. Yeah. So, you know, go for it. Uh, Evil Hat and World 20 are teaming up to offer safety tools. Uh, Evil Hat has a safety toolkit, and World 20 has now taken that and worked it into their system to give you for free, you know, decks of cards and macros for the X card and script change, a game palette page with lines and veils, and then a handout explaining how to use all of them. So, you know, for free, you can add all of these safety tools directly to your Roll20 game. That's pretty neat. I was recently in a game where someone had something like this, and I was thinking, that's neat. I'm going to have to figure out how they did that. And now I don't have to because I just simply went and downloaded this for free, and now I have these available for my games. Sweet. Yep. There you go. And last bit of news, the Adventurers League team has released their information, including the list of adventures and authors and when the adventures would be released for the Ravenloft Mist Hunters campaign, a campaign that Teos and I are going to play on Sunday. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Me that's too. Very cool. I get to play I'm... D&D again and I get to play with you and that's going to be great. And with Zombie Joe as our DM, that'll be even better. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah, and I was just talking to GM Tim yesterday, who was on the show uh, for the Icewind Dale review. And yeah. actually, both of our guests from that show are writing for this series, were revealed as writers. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and Tim was telling me about the the emphasis on story and, and just you know, nothing. He didn't spoil anything, but just was talking about how neat it was to, or is, because some of them are still writing or finishing up writing, um, how neat it is to design that way. and think differently. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how this all feels. And, and yeah. the event that's at the virtual weekend is an epic. And I think also the first ad adventure is also available at the event. Yeah. Yeah. The other uh, writer that was on the show with us was uh, Marcelo de Velasquez, who uh, is also one of the writers for that, uh, yeah. that series. And oh, as well as a bunch of other, obvi obviously all of, or several of the uh, DDEAL admins that will be writing the initial adventures and then a great team backing them up. So, I am I'm excited to see how it goes. And like Teo said, it should be a new and different experience and how it's run. So we're looking forward to that as well. Yeah. And alternate campaigns are always a nice way to like get in, play some something in its own little confined way. You don't feel like uh, everybody's old hat and you're jumping into something that everybody fully knows. This is a great time to try out some organized play, especially if you like story heavy stuff. Um, and everybody's going to be on equal footing because everybody's creating new characters. In fact, if you sign up for the Epic event, you will make, make characters as part of this. So mm -hmm. pretty neat. Yep. And you know what, Sean? I have one more thing that I can add. All right. Which is that uh, starting today, which will be you know this week when uh, the recording drops, uh, I will be on the Saving Throw show doing a uh, Modifius Dune stream, playing the Dune RPG. And that yes. should be pretty fun. So folks like it check out the saving throw show on twitch or youtube and you'll be able to catch this week's series it's a learn to play series 
-hmm. So you will see how we go about creating a house, which will be our first step in creating a house in the Lancerad. And then, um, we will create characters and all of that. So you can, you don't, you don't need any knowledge because in fact, we have very little knowledge. (laughs) And also of the game. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, I'm reading, uh, rereading Dune right now. Me too. Uh, in preparation for the movie as well as the game. So I'm going to definitely check that out and see. Uh, do you know if it uses the 2D20 system that Modifius yeah. uses? Does it? Okay. Yeah. It's, it's So if you've seen Star Trek Adventures, um, it uses that same type of system. It's 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 the kind of Modifius 2D20 system. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it will be very similar uh, in terms of that whole threat determination, yep. momentum type approach. Cool. So I have not played that system before, so I'm looking forward to getting to know it better. I am going to have to set aside a bit of time to watch that. And so is it is it live streamed or is it recorded? Yeah, it live is live streamed. And right. then... Um, Goes up on Twitch. Yep. All exactly. right. So you can watch that, as Teo said, on the Saving Throw Show Twitch. Awesome. So let's talk about Chapter 2 of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Uh, we finished Chapter 1 last time, looking at all of the various character options. So this time, we are going to get into the chapter that talks about creating domains of dread. So this is for all the DM slash world builders out there. Um, a quick shout out to Richard Green, uh, because he is continuing on his website, which is richardgreengames.com, to talk about how to use these chapters for uh uh, these chapters and the concepts in Van Richten's guide with his adventure from Cobalt Press, Empire of the Ghouls. Uh, so if you want to see sort of what we're talking about also in action, um, you can go over to richardgreengames.com and look at Rich Green's uh, work there. Yeah. So with chapter two, we're going to talk, as I said, about creating a domain of dread and creating a dark lord to rule over that domain. Just to to give sort of a high-level view, I thought this was an absolutely wonderful chapter. Uh, Agreed. It has such great information. Uh, as, as I was reading it, I started thinking, you know what, I'm going to use this in my college class, not only as a way to show you how to build a world or build an adventure or build a story, uh, you know, but build anything, right? Build RPG worlds, build yeah build all of these things because the 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 information and the tips that they give can work for short stories they can work for anything uh anything creative that you build a larger story or setting around Uh, the other thing i wanted to say before we start was keep in mind that we're going to be talking about dark lords and, and the domain a lot but behind all of this are these dark powers and it's the dark powers that are really the the bad guy even though there are intermediate bad guys, these Dark Lords. Uh, the Dark Lords are victims as much as anything, even though they're irredeemable victims. Right. So even if you defeat a Dark Lord, you always have to be thinking in the background, what are these Dark Powers? Why did they allow this Dark Lord to die? Um, th- there's always that one more layer that, to think mm-hmm. of as you're thinking of, of uh, creating these domains and these dark lords. Okay. With that said, and, yeah. And oh, go ahead. I just want to, no, I want to feed off of that, Sean, because that's a great point. Two really good points that, that, that uh, I've been mulling over heavily as I read this book. One is what do we really want to do with these dark powers as a DM? Because 
one possibility is to sort of like the original Ravenloft adventure. You don't say anything about it, right? It's just you play that adventure, and a few years later, you might play it again. And we usually we think of that as just rerunning the adventure. But really, in canon, you can canonically play it again because right. the Dark Bowers reinstate Strahd, right? right? Strahd does not actually die unless you choose to make it that way in your game. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you want to, in any way reveal that in some way to your players is an interesting question. Do you want to at all design for that concept to reflect that? Do you want to you know, let the players peer beyond, beyond the, behind the curtain a bit and know, you know, hey, these people are reincarnated, this world resets? Mm-hmm. Right. And if you choose to not do that, why? And right. why did the dark powers allow it? So, you know, Ravenloft is a world where you can't win. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit, you can have what you think is the win, right? You can defeat the Dark yeah. Lord. You can even shut down a domain, but the Dark Powers are still there. And there's no stat block for the Dark Powers. Right. right? So yeah. they they are the villain in the long run. And the players, as Teo said, never have to know that. Uh, but as you're, as you're thinking in these layers of creating a dark Lord, creating a domain, putting together the story, you know, always just keep that in the back of your mind. And, yeah. you know, you can hint at things like that because there's some horror for you, right? There's some dread for you, which is you won this time, but you can't win every time. Yeah. And I don't super, as a, just my individual take on games and so on, I don't super love that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do really like about the Ravenloft um, world, the mists, the way all this works, is that your villain is a prisoner, and that adds a horror aspect to it, because Mm -hmm. they are not above the situation. They are part of it. Uh, They are suffering too. But in all the cases, they deserve that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a question, you know, this is not a thing about where you redeem them or you save them or you feel bad for them because I, I think a lot of, we have a lot of that these days of sort of like right. the the dark villain from the comic book series. Well, let's show what they, what happened to them and let's somehow have like a tender side of we, Oh, right. that's why they mass murdered. Oh, you know, right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't like that at all. And so I like that in Ravenloft, these are irredeemable. Like mm-hmm. you're getting a taste of really horrible things they've done. And even though they are tortured and, and part of, you know, the play of these dark powers, they deserve this and they deserve to be faced off against by the heroes and defeated. Like that is what, you know, no right. hero just says, Oh, the world resets. I should walk off like this. You do, yeah. while you may not win in the long run, you do need to take this immediate step. If you are a hero. Sure. Sure. And, and, uh, yeah, there, there is even a step in the process of, of that, you know, thinking about not only who was the villain before they became the Dark Lord, but why are they irredeemable? So you as the creator get to come up with that, um, that reason. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. it doesn't have to come out in, in the story, although it's stronger, obviously, if it does come out. With yeah. And and maybe to tie things in, you know, the reason why we're talking about these big concepts is because this chapter very cleverly says to design a domain, which is what this chapter is about, you must start with the Dark Lord. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so to start with the Dark Lord, here are the steps that are 
uh, taken. We've already talked about the idea that the Dark Lord is both the villain, but also a prisoner. Uh, so the first thing they do, and I love this right away, is tie the Dark Lord's characteristics to the characters as much as, as much as possible. So while you're coming up with the Dark Lord, you can and should, if possible, take clues from the characters' flaws, bonds, ideals, and so on. So uh, at, you, you get the idea of what is important to a certain character, and then you create a sinister reflection of that. So if one character is all about duty and will do anything for the cause, the Dark Lord was the same way. But they took it to the extreme that it, that they can now no longer see uh, the tree for this big forest they're in. Um, right. they're, they're just going to do what they think is right, even if it means destroying everything around them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's just one example of a sinister reflection. Yeah. You want to you want to continue? Yeah, and with you can list? also play off the opposite, right? So if if someone is. Uh, um, a champion of virtue, then then it's great to give them a foil, right? And make them a super, the bad guy that really will register with you. So you can either take what someone is and take it further and twist it, or you can play off the opposite. And that's a fantastic way to do this. Um, very cool. Yep. Um, the other thing they go into next is past life. The idea that Dark Lords are uh, have a past, a family, a childhood, these things, the experiences that they went through, and that is integral to this domain. Whatever they've gone through, the reasons for their downfall, the, the horrible things they did, all of that should be woven in here and be part of this setting. And, and, and the best domains, when you look at the examples in the book, or if you look at Strahd, it all has to do where at first glance, you just think like, oh, Strahd is this evil guy who lusts after this particular woman. But when you uncover the tragic story and learn all of the trade-offs he made poorly mm -hmm. right. <laughs> in an attempt for love and how this cycle repeats and plays over and over again, and then that feeds into everything else about the setting and helps define the setting. And so in that same way, we can think through what the past life is and what they did. It's cool. Uh, they give tips on using the Taroka deck, if you have that at your disposal, to... You know, draw a card and use that as an inspiration uh, for for the the past of of your character. Um, they yeah. also give personality traits, uh, including fatal flaws. So there is a uh, chart that where you can roll or select some wicked personality fatal flaw traits. Yeah, yeah. But there's some neat examples there. Once someone questions me, I won't stop until I befriend them and then betray them. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, great, a great adventure there, right? A great adventure yeah. seed of, you know, that there's going to be a point where the, the bad guy tries to get tempt the, the characters or a character into, uh, into becoming a friend. Yeah. Yeah. All, all of that's there. Uh, and then we get to the point where they say, remember that the dark Lords are deeply evil. You can, uh, always have to remember that uh, even if it was a seemingly innocent mistake that led to a part of their downfall, their downfall has to be their choice. Uh, it has to be significant. 
Mm -hmm. uh, All of that needs. And it it harmed people. Exactly. And that's a big part because that's something that we see in a lot of these domains where, you know, it's a mask of red death type scenarios. Um, We see it in classic stories, right? Whether it's mummies or Frankensteins or any of that, where you, you make these bad decisions, Jekyll and Hyde, you know, and, and, and people suffer as a result of it. Mm -hmm. And so you are bound to those people that you, that you hurt as a dark Lord. Yep. Uh, They talk about monstrous transformations. So not only is the dark Lord uh, evil in their soul, there's generally some sort of physical transformation that goes along with it. And the more that you can tie the physical transformation to the evil, the corruption that's within the dark Lord or the, the evil acts that they did, um, so much the better. Yeah. There's some, and there's some creepy, creepy ones. They give a list of 10 of them as well as some, you know, yeah. collaborating information, but it, uh, there's some really <laughs> horrid ones in here. And so it's great because as you're thinking through what they might've done and, and what their domain might be, and then you look at these transformations that can really shape up the story. Mm-hmm. And And I think whatever you're transforming them into can then be, possibly things that you are seeing in the domain as well. Right. So if, if, um, if they are, I don't know if they're, if they're clouds of insects that come out of their mouth, like one of these suggestions, then you can think about, you know, well, maybe this is a, like a swamp area and you can just start building from there. It's right. full of ideas. I love right. it. If, if this dark Lord starved people, maybe one of the dark Lord's curses is he or she has to eat constantly. You know, yeah. Something like that. Uh, yeah, and, and maybe the surrounding village is constantly, you know, trying to secure resources, and so you start learning about this kind of exactly. Yep, and so you know, all of that uh, goes into the creation of the Dark Lord. Uh, any more on the Dark Lord you want to mention before we talk about the domain? It ends with the birth of a Dark Lord, and and the idea here is to think about what was that greatest irredeemable act that sort of sealed the deal and dragged them and and their land into the mist to create the domain. That can also be helpful in your creation process. There you go. So once you have the Dark Lord, then you can go about creating the domain that will be the prison of the Dark Lord, but also the setting of the adventures that you're going to be running. Yeah. And that's, that's equally important. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast for, for a long time, you've heard me mention before, uh, Edgar Allan Poe's theory of unity of effect. And that's really what we're going to be talking about here is you've got the theme. So now take every single thing that you put into the domain and make it tie back to that theme, whether directly or indirectly. Uh, it can be very indirect. It can just be sort of a slight touch of that. If we, if we, the whole time I was reading this chapter, I was thinking of, what what domain would I create if I was going to sit down and create a domain right now? And the first character that came to mind to be a Dark Lord was Omendron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, not that not that the character is evil, but could be evil uh, or or has tendencies that that uh-huh. move evil because of this business. Uh right. So what would a domain from of Omen Drawn look like? And what would what transformations would he come? And so yeah. you know, I started thinking about all the little all the little highlights, all the little details that you could make, right? Yeah. Uh everything is gold 
but it's like but it's rotting as well yeah or, or no, it's it, it's fool's gold or, right. or yeah Right. Yeah, the CEO of Acquisitions Incorporated is a, is an excellent uh, dark lord. If if they don't change their ways, right? One one wonders watching this show as bad choices are made. Whether at some point there'll be a redemption, or will Omen continue until the deed that is done is too yeah. far gone? Yeah. So I mean, it was just yeah, it was just so cool to to start thinking in those terms as I went through this list. So creating the domain, it will, of course, reflect the Dark Lord, the sights, sounds, smells, and all, all of that serve as reminders of not just who the Dark Lord is, but what the Dark Lord did uh, to become a Dark Lord. Yeah. So they, the, uh, the instructions tell you to choose three evil acts that the Dark Lord committed. Uh, considering, consider those that complement the characters, as we've talked about, and that don't conflict with the boundaries that you've set up for your group. So, you know, go back to your safety tools, go back to the, the um, yeah. slot zero discussion to make sure you're not stepping over any bounds. Then for each act, imagine the scene, where it took place, what happened, and then start building the domain, referring back to these acts. Yeah, some really neat pieces, just that whole idea of before this act took place, what warnings were misread or foreshadowed? And I love the questions like that in this section. Um, re really good things that help you think about how the domain would end up forming and what it might look like. And and so with like an Omen Drawn, for example, you know, there's this scene where he, not only does he clone one of his quote unquote friends without their permission, but then he trades the clone Mm -hmm. to Asmodeus, right? And, and, <laughs> and yeah. so many other things. And so right. that aspect of, of friendship would be something that would certainly come back to haunt because he has at many points sort of expected people to be loyal and serve and be committed. And yet he will betray them, right? For what he sees as a greater good or gain. Right. So, you know, there's all of that can go into this, this, uh, this domain if you're creating it with this idea of friendship as transaction or seeing, yeah. seeing someone's life in terms of money, not necessarily, you know, morally, uh, their, their value, you know, all of that can be used in a, a ton of different ways. Um, because the domain is about endless torment. So, uh, we're given ideas that help us detail how the domain and the dark Lord do not and cannot change because those choices have already been made. Um, so they, there's a lot of reincarnation happening in these domains because people are being tortured and it's an endless cycle. Um, so maybe one character or one NPC dies and is gone, but one dies and then a week later they're back. <laughs> maybe remembering what happened, maybe not. And yeah. that is a clue to you know, the fact that they are either a victim that will never escape or a perpetrator who will never escape from these mm -hmm. choices. Wow. It makes me wonder if, uh, I mean, the, the, because of the pandemic, all the conventions haven't been happening. So all the live plays haven't been happening. So I think when we last left off, you know, it was Icewind Dale, but you know, maybe we would have also had a, a domain of dread moment, uh, yeah. And that would have been really interesting to have seen the acquisitions Inc. group go through that. Oh yeah, I, I I'm all about this. Like I said, I, I it just popped into my head, and 
I haven't been able to shake yeah. it loose. I can see um, why. So as as you would for any adventure, then you want to create the locations uh, that the characters may come come upon, including all the supernatural angles that um, that you want to include. So it's not just a shop, right? Something weird has to be happening in the shop. It's not just a gold mine. Weird things have to be happening in the gold mine that that refer back to the the evil that was done that that created the place. Yeah, I would have liked a little more in this section. Um, it's a little light on on like there. There's so much here that feels like world building, but what it doesn't do is really give you guidance on creating that map. Mm-hmm. And and I would have liked some ideas, like for example, you know, to look at the map of the land and think of it as: can the map tell the story of their life? Right, right. Could it introduce us as we go from, say, a village to a mountain temple to whatever? Could you know? Could we get a taste of the the things they went through, or mm-hmm. or how to how to do that with a little more interest? But yeah, but uh, there's a lot that's great in this chapter, so it's not really a big complaint. Yep. Uh, they talk about cultural specifics. Because domains don't need to be functional or even logical. Uh, so we get questions that help us establish the dominant cultural feel. So what's the, you know, what's the culture of, the, of this of domain based on the evil that has formed it? So it doesn't have to make sense, right? Food can just appear on mm-hmm. people's doorsteps. So you don't need farmland. Right. Um, you know, it's... It's all about the weirdness that created the area in the first place. So don't be afraid to take those shortcuts because you want to highlight this stuff. You don't want to downplay it or water it down with, with stuff that in a normal world you would need to think about, but you don't need to think about it here. Yeah. And that can be neat. You know, like if the world is an endless, uh, masquerade ball, you know, that idea that if you were to mention something about, Oh, what's the price of this price? Yeah. Things just appear, you know, we, we don't, right. we don't pay for these things. You don't, yep. everybody just plays the role and exactly. we never run out of this. Right. And just, yeah. and those kinds of things, when someone says that to a character can be so unnerving and creepy, right. Right. Which can be fun. Yep. Uh, then of course you probably will want some monsters to go into your domain slash adventure. So, you know, select monsters that complement the story that the Dark Lord, uh, that the story that created the Dark Lord. So if you have a mad scientist, you need Frankenstein, you need golems, uh, right? If it's more of a lycanthrope thing, you're going to have werewolves and and other lycanthropes. So just, you know, think about what monsters fit the theme that you're creating and don't be afraid to reskin monsters to, to fit the fit the bill yeah so then it goes into the mists um and prompts you to think through how the mists behave because they can be different in different domains so maybe there are certain ways that you sense them the senses are triggered in a particular way um there might be stories that people who live in the main tell about the mists to sort of explain them in different ways that could be unique based on the characteristic of the domain i thought that was a neat idea Mm mm-hmm and then it gets into adventures. Yeah. Because if you're going to make the domain, probably you're going to have characters that do things there. So when you consider adventures, consider the types of encounters or adventures that would play out in this land. Uh, think through how the Dark Lord 
might uh, feel urgent and time sensitive about having the characters in their realm. That's great uh, advice because yeah. it's easy to detail a world and the players arrive and they just sort of mucking around in it. But that idea that like, no, Irina has been kidnapped or it will be kidnapped at any moment, right? Something that's happening. The ball is about to take place. Um, lightning is flashing in the tower. When that happens, you know, we could all be doomed. That sort of, even though it's cyclical, the characters don't know that. And so arriving with this sense of urgency is fantastic. Yeah. The one thing that it really didn't mention, uh, that this chapter didn't mention, especially in the adventure section, is what is likely to be the motivating factor for the characters. Mm. And that's simply escape. Yeah. So the, you, if, if that isn't going to be their motivating factor, you have to give a compelling, compelling reason why. Otherwise, right. the myths come in, the characters try to leave, and they can't. And the, the top of mind is going to be, how do we get out of here? Right. So yeah. mm -hmm. either work that into the story that you uh, are going to be telling with them, or, like I said, give them a compelling reason why that's not the thing that's at the foremost of their mind. Yeah, and the last thing you want is characters who are sort of off script in that regard in a non-fun way. We're like, if you're thinking, oh, they'll they'll see that the village is hungry and slowly start building up these clues, and what they're really doing is just trying to constantly ask about, yeah, great, I know you don't have food, but how do we get out of here? Right. You know, could you tell us about the town to the north? You know, and it's just it's all off track and just feels wrong. And so you want to present that, which I think why the intro adventure that's in this book that we talked about uh, two episodes or so. Um, it provides a note to the characters mm -hmm. right? to set them on their path, right? And something like that is really useful. Some reason to say, you are needed, here's where you're needed, mm -hmm. right? and points them in that direction. And then they might surmise, well, maybe we can escape if we complete this. Right, right. And you can always have NPCs lie to the characters. <laughs> oh, I know how to get out, but first do blank, whether yeah. they know or not. Um, yep. Because every adventure uh, could have a different goal or a series of goals leading to the final thing, which is probably the domain's downfall. And so that's what they talk about next. Um, so you have to link up the Dark Lord's weaknesses, which make them vulnerable, to the domain itself. Uh, decide whether the Dark Lord or the domain can be defeated and whether victory will allow the PCs to escape or move into another domain or something else entirely. So the, the resolution of your adventure, if it's going to be that final step uh, in, in the full domain's story, should tie back to the Dark Lord, should be something that the mists would allow, and yeah. why would they allow it? Yeah. Is it because mm -hmm. the, the, the characters are a more taunting or are, are, are a more uh, delicious target for the, <laughs> for the darkness? So the darkness have something in mind for them. Uh, is it because it's going to reset? So the dark, you know, the dark powers don't care. Uh, just keep that in the back of your mind. As and and I tend start. to think that the reset may sort of reload the, the torment, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it, a torment isn't, it can only go but so long in a in a in a particular state, and so refreshing it 
mm-hmm. probably makes it heightened, right, in yeah. some way sure. um, for the dark powers would be my guess. But yeah. yeah, I love this advice. I mean, this entire section is absurdly good. Uh, I was listening to the Tome Show's coverage of the, the fifth edition DMG, and you know, there are a lot of places where you're like, well, this is an intro or it's trying to balance between introducing to new player characters and experienced. And so it's not perfect because it's trying to do a lot. And this chapter is just an example of hitting it out of the park for any kind of audience, whether you're yep. new, experienced, whatever. This is fantastic advice for what it sets out to do. And mm-hmm. hats off to everybody who worked on this part, because this is it's really one of the best examples I can think of of this kind of material. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll touch on the next section, which is just the genres of horror. Uh, so they, they talk about the different genres that you can have and you can, you know, obviously you can mix and match and, and do different things with each one, but they sort of give you a list of different types of horror at, to inspire your, uh, adventures and your domain creation to maybe focus in on one or two and give it that sort of guidance. Yeah, and just to, we don't have to go into great detail. They, 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 for each one, you have monsters that are recommended, um, ideas on villains. A lot of this is just tables with checklists um, that are very useful. They're they're not bad at all. They're really quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just things like society preemptively celebrates an achievement the Dark Lord will never be able to provide. Right. Wonderful, yeah. just wonderful storytelling prompt. Um, settings, inspiration for the locations that work well with the genre, for example, for cosmic horror, an ambulatory forest riddled with glowing eyes, adventure sites, for example, for folk horror, a hag's hut that stands atop a hill of rotten sweets, plots. So for ghost stories, solve the murder of a phantom who can say only the words blood, onions, and wine. Yeah. Really, really wonderful writing here. And we get the different types, body horror, uh, our own failing anatomies, cosmic horror, Fear of personal insignificance in the face of vast and incomprehensible entities. Um, dark fantasy, grim, grim themes and nihilistic plots. Folk horror with traditions and beliefs. Yep. Ghost stories. Um, I don't know. Any of these stand out to you, Sean? The, the ones that stand out are the ones that are sort of hardest to do in a and d game. Oh, yeah? What are like, those? Well, like slasher horror. Slasher mm. horror is all about people without really much power to do anything being chased by something that can't be killed and no, well, not many D and D players want that, right? They want (laughs) to be proactive and accomplished and able to kill something with their sword, with their spells, or if necessary with their wits. Uh, so, you know, that doesn't do a lot for me mm-hmm. in terms of you can have certain scenes with an adventure, maybe that go to that sort of slasher horror, uh, motif, but you don't want a whole campaign True. set up like that. Yeah. Uh, I think that the easiest thing I can think of is something like the movie alien, where you have a creature that is relentlessly attacking, but it is really good at getting away, mm-hmm. right? If the thing can go in substantial or if it can retreat, you know, create darkness and retreat, if it can teleport, things like that, then the players will realize that they must do something else to defeat it. Yeah. But if it's just a creature that has hit points and attacks, nope, that's not going to work. Yeah. The players will ambush it or do something. They'll 
Yeah. They'll pin it down. Yep. And cosmic horror sort of falls into that realm for me as well, mm-hmm. because it, it talks, you know, cosmic horror is built on the, on the idea that you, you are just an ant in a cosmos that is a big foot coming down on you. And again, that, that, while it works as a story and mm-hmm. you, as you consume it and think about it, it doesn't necessarily work well as a long-term D and D campaign. Uh, yeah. It's harder for long-term though. I think that's where some sci-fi RPGs can give us good mm-hmm. inspiration because sci-fi often has that sort of vast unknowable threat that you can't just face. And so you're either retreating from it or you're just stopping it, holding it back, sealing it away. Mm-hmm. And those kinds of things have play in them, right? The, the, oh, the sure. abandoned base that's a mind flare base. What were they doing, right? What dark thing? And then yeah. you're stopping it and holding whatever when this horror begins to intrude. Yeah. 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 That, mm-hmm. yeah, th- that works. That definitely works. Um, I thought f- for me that falls short of cosmic horror, but that's fine. Okay. Uh, psychological horror is a tough one, right? This suspense yeah. through heightening or calling into question a character's state of mind, emotions and perceptions. That's a one where it's hard to keep the players from thinking in ways that their characters would not, which is what's often happening in these movies. Right. Yeah, exactly. You can't, well, you, you can, you can basically lie to the character, lie to the player to make them play their character in a different way. Uh, that does show psychological horror, but then often since D and D is a game again, where characters are supposed to be good at what they do and, you know, moving toward their goals and, and growing an experience and gaining power to, to, to do that to the player uh, is often not seen as fair play. So, yeah. 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 But, you know, it's it's all good food for thought. Yeah, uh, terrific ter- chapter. And, yeah, wonderful. And then so next time we'll, we will look at Chapter 3, which the, are the actual domains that we are given in Ravenloft. And we'll see how all of these uh, tips and all of these concepts that we're given in Chapter 2 are put to use in the domains that were created for us by the dedicated and creative Wizards of the Coast team. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say, this is this is what we'd heard uh, when the book first released, where they said, gee, everybody was saying, another book coming out. Is this too many? You know, can Wizards do it? And at least this team has knocked it out of the park, right? This, it does not, this is, does not read like a team that stretched thin or that has run out of ideas. So this, yeah. this is a book that's highly creative and top-level craft. Absolutely. So thank you all for listening, uh, and thank you to our patrons who keep the show going. If you would like to become a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash MMP, and we appreciate any support. And that support includes just being a listener and maybe sharing our uh, work on social media. And speaking of social media, Teos, where can people follow you? You can find me on the Twitter at AlphaStream. And check out my blog at alphastream.org. In fact, I think I'm going to take the Magic to Gathering advice and put it up as a blog post as well. So well, there you, you go. Can look for that this week. And you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin 
or on the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. You can also follow the podcast itself on Twitter at MasteringDND. Mastering Dungeons is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Mr. Abadia, what are we going to do now? Go kill Omendran. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>